Please be seated. I notice a few sunburned noses, so I think folks celebrated the 4th of July yesterday. And you know, this time of year is heavy on symbols, isn't it? Some of them very loud, I'll bet you discovered. We live over in Inman Park, so folks everywhere in our neighborhood were celebrating not only the 4th of July, but the legalization of fireworks in our beloved state. Some until 4 a.m., which I wanted to go out and point out to them was actually the 5th of July. We walked around last night, Patricia and I walked around last night. We didn't feel like we needed to go to any fireworks displays because there were many homemade ones all around the neighborhood and people were out walking around and talking. It was quite lovely. And you might have seen a lot of flags yesterday too. When we were at the farmer's market shopping for our 4th of July gathering of five that turned into a party with 20, I counted 20 or 30 different representations of the American flag, many of which were on running regalia because I think folks had come there after finishing the Peachtree Road Race. And you might have noticed that we processed in the American flag this morning as we do on many Sundays around days of national importance. And we process it in a particular way here for particular reasons. We take it all the way up to the altar and then around to its place where it rests normally. And that's not in an effort to do flag worship, but it's because uh, the flag then stands as a reminder for us all that we offer even our national life to God's transforming grace. And you know, many of you probably know this, but the American flag is so loaded with meaning for our people that it has pages of regulations and rules governing its use And you know, most of the time, that flag stands for very good things. It stands for loyalty and strength and the sacrifice of our forefathers and foremothers and for equality and for justice for all. But we all know, especially here in the South, especially in Georgia, where over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, flags have been a subject of great debate in our state. The flags are not without their paradox, and they're not without problems either. The Confederate flag, thankfully, has inspired some important conversation and positive action around race. Many folks, once hardened to holding on to this symbol, have soften their hearts. Even Nikki Haley, the governor of South Carolina, has agreed that it's time for it to come down. Governments are starting to move it from public view and people are starting to take it out of public view, out of respect for our fellow countrymen and women for whom that symbol is very painful. For many of us, that was something that was a symbol of a dark time in our country's history. It was considered and it's considered to be something that's associated with great, the great weakness and sin, sins of slavery and racism and horrible violence. If you really think about it, though, it's strange that these cloth rectangles sewn in many cases with symbols and pictures and colors and stars can be such powerful outward signs and symbols of good and bad things. 
But cloth rectangles become flags for us, don't they? Because they point towards greater realities, realities beyond us. Paul creates an unlikely a flag out of something that's kind of unlikely uh, for him. It's made in the shape of, of all things, his weaknesses. He proclaims today that God's work is most present in the parts of his life that he and others might consider to be bad or shameful. In his day, Paul was having to speak out against what was probably a flashier and more, maybe even a more attractive version of the spiritual life being offered by flashier, more attractive apostles that some people call super apostles. Their way of worshiping and following God might have even uh, been heavy with trance states and all kinds of strange cultic worship and elevated spiritual experience. And you know, Paul's being a little passive-aggressive with his rhetoric today because this person, it's sort of like saying, well, you know, I had a friend when you're trying to remove yourself from something. This person that he speaks of having spiritual experiences was, was undoubtedly him. And he could have gone on to, to brag, but he stops himself from bragging. And he, and he describes his superiority uh, by reminding them of his weakness. He admits defeat and weakness to his opponents. His weakness is what points towards God's grace, he says, and he reasons and he admits that since his weaknesses are many, God's grace is especially active in him. His weakness, something that might otherwise have been hidden or that he might have kept hidden or not talked about, is his banner, his flag for God's grace and strength in his life. Paul really had no great claims to super apostlehood either. He was not, according to what many have said and, and even what he's said about himself, a real showy or attractive dude. The Acts of Paul and Thecla, a non-canonical source, says that, that Paul was bald-headed and bow-legged, strongly built, a man small in size with meeting eyebrows and a rather large nose. <laughs> Hardly a matinee idol. But Paul even admits today in his letter that he had a thorn in his side. And that word that he uses is a great word because it, it's, it's an allusion towards uh, something that people put in battlements, towards sharpened spikes and spears that people would put in the ground to keep enemies away from them. It was something really terrible and painful. Some people think it might have been epilepsy. One scholar even uh, wasted a lot of trees and ink saying it was a sinus infection. <laughs> some people might even think, some people even think that it might have been migraine headaches. But I'm pretty sure he called it weakness because, well, it made him weak. It caused him great pain. I like to think it was migraines because I've been a lifelong migraine headache sufferer like many of you. And you know, when I get migraine headaches, they keep me from functioning. I can't come to work. I can't do anything. I can't talk to people. I can't even sit outside in the light. They're excruciating. And when I get them, you don't find me thanking God for this weakness. You'll find me lying in bed with an ice pack on my head, begging God to take it away from me. 
My weakness of migraines causes me great pain. And when they happen, they keep me from living my best life. But as I thought about this, I considered how, how this pain might point towards God's grace, though. Because when we experience great pain, it, it forces us to reach out beyond ourselves, beyond our own power for help. I know in my case, it's forced me to, to consider what causes my migraines, to be more proactive about them, to exercise to watch what I eat and drink, take a closer look at how I handle stress, to open up my heart to other people when I'm troubled and not holding things in. They've even, sought, they've even uh, caused me to seek out good medical help and find doctors who really understand my problem. And I think when we get uh, towards the end of suffering sometimes, or even during suffering, we're forced to recognize that healing Real healing doesn't come from ourselves. And I think Paul tells us this too, that it comes from God's grace and from God's help working in us and through us and through other people. Paul tells us today that weakness has healed his soul. And I think he offers us the hope that it can heal our souls too because in the end, we have to give up. We have to acknowledge that some things are out of our control and our power and that we are in great need of God's help. We are all about symbols and what things point to in our church. So we've got great practice in thinking about uh, what these outward things mean for us. And now we're invited to turn it into the own, the things in our lives that are very intimate, our shame, our pain. I mean, look around you in here at all the symbols around you, the stained glass and all the crosses. And you know, the cross, after all, wasn't even a symbol that the church liked to use till about 700 A.D. It was something that, that represented shame and death for us. But now it's become a symbol about overcoming weakness, the greatest weakness, death. It reminds us of the story of God here on earth, that God took human form. God did great deeds of power here on the earth and healed people. And at the end, God and Jesus even faced death. Yet God overcame death. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So the cross proclaims for us that even death, the greatest weakness, is something that points to God's grace for us. Still, as we leave this place and we go home, we'll consider that our weaknesses still make us weak. Maybe we can all learn something about how to find God in that weakness today. And maybe... Even we've learned something from it around the discussions we've had around outward symbols in our culture like the Confederate flag. You know, like Paul's thorn in his side, what happened here, this great thorn in our side that we experienced recently was certainly not caused by God. But we have seen God present in the aftermath, haven't we? We have seen God working in weakness and death when people who were done great violence and harm offer grace and forgiveness in response instead of retribution and violence and hatred back. And as we bravely face more dialogue and work as a country around our painful past, 
and we work to ensure that everyone has a fair chance to live abundantly in the United States, we will need to remember that healing and grace will come for us only with God's help. Our weaknesses, the thorns that are in our side, that we have as individuals and as a people become flags for God's grace when we, like Paul, admit that we cannot overcome them without God. Without God. Only when we do that will we be working towards a life of maturity and fulfillment and peace. I like how Frederick Beekner he calls this maturity and fulfillment, becoming a human being. In God's hands, our weakness lead to, leads to our being more human and more like Jesus. He says we want to be human beings because really there's only been one real human being since the world began, Jesus Christ. So with God's help, weaknesses, weaknesses and all, we are empowered to become human, to become Christ to each other, as Beekner says, Christ to God, Christ to all of us. In our customary time of silence, let's all consider our struggles. Let's offer them to God in prayer. And then we can begin to make God's grace manifest in our lives, even through our weaknesses.